John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we saw His glory as of the utterly unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Over the last three Sundays, I've been doing a series entitled, The Word Became Flesh. And we made a decision this Christmas time to be very deliberate about it, to focus our attention on Him, on Jesus. You say, well, of course, we do that anyway. But you know, I don't know about you, certainly, I find it easy to be distracted. There's so much happening and uh, so much business about Christmas that we forget the business of Christmas. Very easy thing to do. So we set our determination in this direction. The first week we looked at the one who came, realizing that Christmas, first Christmas, was not the beginning of the Word of God. In other words, his human name, Jesus, belongs to one called the Word, the Logos of God, the Son of God, who existed even before the world was created. In fact, he eternally existed with the Father in a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which was satisfying, fulfilling, and eternal. And yet, the Word that was with the Father eternally created the world. We also see that this whole story that the Bible records for us, the pre-existence of Jesus Christ, or pre-existence of the Word, and His creation of everything, and His living amongst us here on this earth, all of this is not just a nice story. Many, many people, I still have to remind myself that it's true, but I know it's true, I meet people, they don't even know the difference between the reality of Christmas and the, the Santa Claus, the red-nosed reindeer, the frosty, the snowman, and all the rest of it. So we have have to assert the fact and show that it's a reasonable faith. It actually happened. This is not just nice ideas. It wasn't myth or legend. Or, or it took far too long for myth and legend to... It takes far too long for myth and legend to develop. That these things were spoken about from the very, very earliest days. They were spoken about by the apostles, those that witnessed it, because it actually happened, the truth of his coming. So today we're going to focus on the coming itself and... Uh, this is the take-home message that I want you to, to catch today. And uh, I have a whole list of uh, questions which, are, which, which you do in your, in your cell groups, application questions. And I've got uh, paper here for you. We emailed them out. And, and uh, some of the 9 o'clock forgot to take them, so there's extra copies here. Make sure that you, 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 you use them, especially for the cell leaders in the cell meetings today and, and that take place... Uh, Throughout, throughout the week. And the take-home message is this. We, we discover this when we see all the preparation and the, the detail uh, and the, the effort it took, the patience it took for God to come at exactly the right moment into this world. And here it is. God is never late. He's always exactly, exactly on time. Galatians 4, verses 5, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 say, When the fullness of time had come, and what that means, the fullness of time, right on 
schedule. Bang on the nail. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. God is never late, never, never late. He's always on time. And the God who holds the universe together, the one who makes it all hang together, the one who is operating behind everything that we see, the invisible hand directing all things, every situation, every circumstance, the reason behind the season and every season, that one who upholds all things by the word of his power is upholding you today. Now, there are two kinds of people, friends, two kinds of people in this world. And um, often, it's quite amusing, God will put different, these different types of people together in what we call marriage. So what happens is, is that you've got one person, one kind of person, who's always prepared. In fact, boringly over-prepared. They're, they're, they're the kind of people who would, who would say things like this, you know, well, just in case, I brought this just in case, or you never know, you never know. And, um, and th then there's another kind of person who seems completely disorganized, and they're always late, and, and their motto is, oh, it's better late than never. I remember once we were holding very important, a series of very important meetings, and this, this personality, this fella, was a minister always late. I said, you're going to be late for your own funeral. What time is that? No, no, you're going to be late for everything. And, and he always he'd get out of it, shrug his shoulder with a smile, and say, better late than never. Well, you, know, you might be a better, so better safe than sorry person or a better late than never person, but imagine when you put the two together. Now, if you came to my house uh, and, and you would look around in certain parts of the house which kind of like, you know, my, my kind of areas, you know, where I spend a lot of my time, you will see whether I am an organized or disorganized person. You will see. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> You'll see if you can. But if you went to to Amanda's side, you know, where, where she spends a lot of her time, you will see whether she's organized or disorganized. I'm not, certainly not going to say anything about that, but if you came, you would see, and you might, you might be amused or, or amazed. I, 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 I don't know. Well, God is no such thing as over-organized as far as God is concerned. He, he knows exactly the art of preparation. When we were watching the debates which were building up to the presidential election and there will be um, an inauguration of President-elect Trump. And uh, I kind of picked this up myself, but a lot of the commentators were commenting on the different styles of preparation for these uh, debates. Apparently, Hillary Clinton, she prepared very, very well. Some say she prepared even too much, too well. Uh, she was over-prepared, and, and Donald Trump certainly seemed under-prepared on a number of occasions, and, uh, and some of the things that came out perhaps were uh, as a result of that. But, you know, the, the, the exact correct way of preparing is so important. If you go to an interview, you know, you can be over-prepared. Did you know that? You can be over-prepared. You can be so over-prepared that you're under-prepared. You can prepare answers to questions they're not even going to ask you and not be aware of what they're going to ask you. So if you are aware of what it takes to prepare, of what it's all about, if you have wisdom and awareness, you can prepare perfectly. 
That's exactly what God is like. He is a God of so much infinite wisdom that he knows exactly how to prepare for whatever he is purposing to do, and he knows not just how to prepare for it so that he's perfectly prepared, everything around him is perfectly prepared, the whole world is perfectly prepared, everything is exactly in place for him to show up at the right moment, in the right time, in the right place, and in the right way. Yes, he knows exactly when to show up. And I say that because if I was to ask you a question today, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. If I was to say today, I'm going to ask you today, how many people are waiting for a prayer to be answered that is not yet answered? How many have a hope, an ambition, a desire, which you would say, hand on heart, I believe this is of God, and it hasn't happened yet? And you're still waiting. Or maybe there's a promise of scripture that one day you were reading and the Holy Spirit took his divine stabilo boss and highlighted that for you. It leapt out from the page. You say, this is amazing. I'm going to be married. I'm going to be promoted. I'm going to get a new house or something like that. And you are still waiting. Or maybe the prophets were let loose on you one day. And they were running around, I tell you something, in the name of Jesus, and they prophesy. Now, you don't believe everything that people tell you just because they say, thus says the Lord, and you don't even know who they are, and they're never in the church building, they lead a crazy kind of life, they're not part of a cell, they're so detached, they're probably prophesying out of their own empty imagination or an overdose of cheese on pizza. (laughs) But there are occasionally times when a prophetic word will come to your life, which doesn't jar, it carries the hallmarks of the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it registers deep within your spirit, kind of like when the angel spoke to Mary and something took place on the inside of her, on the womb of your spirit, something germinated, something took took place, and yet you are still waiting for it to happen. A promise that's unfulfilled, a prayer that is not yet answered, a prophecy that you're still waiting for. How many people are still waiting for something from God that has not yet happened? Everybody's hands would go up. So this message is for you. Because not only does God know how to prepare everything about you, prepare you for the blessing, prepare the blessing for you, prepare the circumstances that surround that, and all of the circumstances actually work together for that fulfillment. You need to know, not only does he prepare, but he shows up. He's going to show up, and he knows exactly when to show up. That's what the Christmas story is all about. We're talking about his coming into the world. Now, you know that As we've just emphasized again, he existed before the world was created. 1 John, oh sorry, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, which means before the world was created, he already existed. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is the Logos, is the second person of the Trinity, the one who's to be made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not one single thing that has been created was not created by him. Meaning, he created all things because he himself is the eternal, uncreated Word of God. There never was a time 
when Jesus was not, or the second person of the Trinity was not. He was not created. He's not some created being, some created angel. He always existed, and that is what John 1 says. Now, think about it. There came a moment then, of course, when he actually, having created everything, stood in a kind of relationship with his creation. Let's read on, John 1, 4 to 11. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Remember this, present tense. The light shines in the darkness. The light, as soon as the world was created, the light was shining into the darkness and continuing to shine, and it has not gone out long after you put away your Christmas lights and your Christmas candles have burnt low and long after Oxford Street has taken all the decorations down, the light will continue to shine. And John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let me share this with you. It's been occupying my mind in the week. You know, this is, there's some ambiguity here in the language because some Bible version says the darkness has not overcome it and other versions say the darkness could not comprehend it. Well, it mean, it's exactly the same word that means both things. And when you've got a choice, if somebody says, would you like some trifle or some Christmas pudding, the answer is both, please. So when, when you've got a choice between, it's a false choice, take them both, because it's wonderful truth. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. In fact, it's the opposite. The light overcomes the darkness. That light that began to shine so brightly 2,000 years ago that was always in the world but manifested itself 2,000 years ago, that light continues to shine. And wherever that light shines, darkness has to retreat. And God one day will turn it up to full power. And all darkness everywhere shall be overcome by the light. This is so important. A lot of people say, how can you tell us about a God of love when there's so much suffering and evil in the world? Have you ever heard about that? Have heard that objection? You talk about God, and yet look at Aleppo. You talk about God, look at the starvation, look at the problems in the world. How can God exist with these problems? And they don't understand that God in his mercy has not yet pushed that light up to the degree in which every bit of darkness in the whole universe will disappear. Why not? Because that will get rid of many other people as well. Because God says, I'm letting the light shine in the darkness. It's an invitation. You who belong to the darkness, you cannot overcome the light, neither can you comprehend it. So while you are in darkness, you're going to remain in darkness until you step out into the light, and that is your free will choice. Evil exists because of free will. And when God eradicates free will, there will be no more choice. When God puts that light on, there will be no more choice. So God is saying, I am waiting. I'm waiting for you. Today is the day for you to step out of darkness into light. But oh yes, the light shines. The darkness cannot overcome it. Then it says the true light... Listen to this, it's amazing. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Pause there halfway through. The true light which enlightens everyone. We don't spend enough time on this. 
often we go straight to what we know. Thank you for the Gospels, Jesus. Thank you for your word to my life, Jesus. Thank you for changing my life. And yet, he says, I have given the same opportunity to every single person born into the world. All time. Every single person without exception. Because the light brings light to everyone. So you say, well, how can that be? Where does all this come from? You know, I heard the objection very recently again, trying to share the gospel with somebody. Say, well, you know, you say Jesus is the only way to heaven. Yeah, okay. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Aha! What about all those people who have never heard about Jesus? What about the people on the other side of the world, even before the coming of Jesus? God is so unfair to just make it only through Jesus when all of these people have never heard about him. Who said they've never heard? Everybody's heard because the light brings light to everyone. How? Three ways. Creation, conscience, and cognition. Let me unpack that. In the creation... God has revealed himself. In fact, Paul says, you can discover when you look at the world, the universe that was created, and as we've seen in some of these messages, we're finding out more and more and more about the universe, and the more scientific knowledge comes our way, the more clearly we see the fingerprint of God, the hallmark of design, the very clear reality that this world points to is that it came from God. God created it, even his eternal power, his Godhead is made visible by the things that he has made. He has made himself known through the creation. Secondly, through your conscience. One of the things when you hear atheists talk, the first thing they will talk about, one of the things they'll talk about is, oh, you, you say there is a God, a God of love, but what about the evil in the world? What about the bad stuff in the world? So I say, my friend, you wouldn't even know what the word good or bad meant unless there was a good God whose standard you are using. So atheists borrow from God. In fact, they steal from God the very concepts that an atheist should not have if they were consistent in their atheism. They steal it in order to judge God. Oh, no, no. Every single person, whatever faith or religion or none, believers, unbelievers, we all have a basic sense of right and wrong. And this is the moral law written in our hearts, our conscience. And if we live according to our conscience, we're responding to the light that God has given us. And so, creation, conscience, and then reason. But to make three C's, I, I used cognition, because just to be clever this morning. But okay, what I mean is creation, conscience, and reason, cognition. The very fact that we are able to make sense of the universe, the very fact that we're able to do maths and science and logic and discovery, is a pointer to the logos, who is the source of all reason. In fact, logos, in the Greek, is the root for such words as logical. And so God is reason and he applies reason and expresses reason and given us the ability to reason with our minds so dear friends this series has been about in many ways lots of things but one thing I've been sneaking in to try and get you to grasp but it's time my charismatic spirit-filled Bible-believing friends to reconnect the heart to the mind ah 
See, uh, you, you can meet some intellectual believers out there. They are so intellectual, and you want to slap them. Why? So they can feel something. They, they live too much in their head. Hello, hello, I'm here. You've got to try and get some overly intellectual people to connect with their heart. Have you met people like that? Okay. But the same applies for those of us who are highly connected to the heart, to experience, to loving Jesus and expressing our joy, to reconnect the heart to the head. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So yes, the true light brings light to every person so nobody is without excuse. For God will not judge you according to the light you have not received, but according to the light you have received. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. So we're reading. It says, he brings light to everyone. And this was the true light coming into the world. And then verse 10 says, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. I mean, Apostle John is throwing stuff at us here so fast. Let's slow it down. And let's think about this. He says, first of all, this true light, the reality behind everything, the real light, the reality, the ultimate reality, brings light and revelation to everyone. This one was coming into the world. Because he's building up to verse 14, the word became flesh. So we hear him of him coming into the world. The very next verse says, he was in the world. He was in the world. Wait, 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 John. He was in the world. Yes, for how long? From the very beginning. He was present. The light shines in the darkness. He was always here, but he's also coming. Yes, he's coming. He's here, but he's coming. Have you ever noticed that? What's, what's your picture of, of, of Christmas? And sometimes I've thought a bit like this but I'm correcting my mind. Here we have this picture. We have the world, the universe, everything is happening. Everything's very, very busy. And way, way, way beyond the galaxy, beyond the final edge of the universe, beyond, beyond, there's this place way, way beyond, different, different altogether, different altogether, this, this place which we call heaven, far, far away. And one day, the father tapped the son on the shoulder and said, son, it's time to go. You better pack your bags. So he gets ready and makes a very long journey all the way out there to come back closer and finally make his way to a little manger in Bethlehem. No, 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 no. He was always here. Not only did the word always exist, but he was always present in the world. Uh, let me make a statement just to help you grasp this today. Listen to the second statement, not just the first statement. The first statement will be followed by a pregnant pause and hopefully a sharp intake of breath corporately around this building today. Are you ready? Get ready, fasten your seatbelts. Here it comes. God did not cause you to be. This is the port. Thank you. I got the breath. No, no, no. That's a false understanding. Here is the real understanding. God causes you to be. He didn't just make you throw you into the world and say, that's it. Bye-bye. No, no, no. 
the one who created you sustains you. The very next breath that you breathe is a gift from him. He sustains all things. Therefore, he causes you to exist. As the Bible says, in him we live. Not just by him, but in him. We live and move and have our being. And this is the view of the world that I want you to grasp and to be encouraged by because it means you never, ever leave his presence. He is always with you. There is not one circumstance that he overlooks in, his, uh, in your life. The God who is upholding all things by the word of his power is upholding you, your life, your family, your job, your loved ones, your circumstances, and he never takes it his eye off the ball for one moment. He always existed. He always was in the world since its creation, but he still comes. If he's here, why does he need to come? Have you heard of this objection? And I, I get it, even for us as Christians, we spent many years believing in God, but we still forget that it's not a matter of sight. It's a matter of faith. We still want to see, don't we? We want to see, show me, show me, show me. And here is a question you'll often get. How can I believe in God? You can't see him, you can't feel him, you can't touch him, you can't hear him, you can't even smell him. And yet you expect me to believe in this invisible, intangible thing that nobody ever sees and you call him God. It's just ridiculous. God, if you are there, why don't you show yourself? Now, God knows exactly when to show up and show himself. That's what he did. He showed himself in many, many different ways, as we shall come to briefly. But mainly, he showed himself at this particular point in history and time. And he showed himself in a way that is so clear and unmistakable. He came in his fullest and final revelation as God manifested in the flesh. So now you want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Descriptions of him are in the Bible. And the apostles, they were still amazed at this. Even before the New Testament was fully written, they were still boggling their minds, saying, that which we have seen, which our eyes have seen, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life, we touched him, we spoke to him, he spoke to us, we lived with him, we sat down with him, we ate with him, we have seen the word made flesh, and we declare him to you. Yes, he came. He showed up. And God who showed up knows exactly when and how to show up. Whatever you're waiting for, let me tell you, God knows when to show up. He knows when to manifest himself. That's what this is about. He was always in the world from the beginning of creation, but at a certain point, he manifested himself. Isn't that what the Bible says? You're familiar with it indeed. 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. What is it? He was manifested in the flesh. So the word who was always present manifested in that final supreme manifestation of God on this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. How wonderful to know that God will always show up. And yet when he shows up, notice this. He shows up with a little bit or quite a bit of ambiguity. 
Think about it. Heard an atheist arguing in a debate saying, you say God shot around this planet? Why, it's nonsense. I, God shouldn't have done that. If he was really serious about business, he should have gone to the most prominent part of the world, uh, the heart of the Roman Empire, not tucked away in some little outpost somewhere with a load of religious fanatics around him, and so that it would be absolutely clear that he was God. But do you know, when God shows up, he doesn't show up in such a way as to leave you with no choice. It always requires faith. We read that, didn't, didn't we? He came into the world. The world was made by him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. What's that saying? It's saying that he always allows enough evidence for you to know that your faith is real and reasonable, but he doesn't show up in such a way as you no longer have the choice to say yes or no. And this is what is amazing to me because all the preparation and all the prophecies, I'm going to run through a few of them this morning, all the things that built up to this moment in time, you would have thought everybody would have acknowledged him. He is the exact fulfillment of every promise, every prediction, every messianic movement in the scripture brings us to this point and yet he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But people did, and as many as received him, those who are humble enough to step out of the darkness of their own life and say, I'm going to put my trust in you. There's enough reason to believe that you are the one, and I'm going to trust you from now onwards. How amazing. Wonderful. He was always here, but yet he comes in this full, final, definitive manifestation, the word becoming flesh. Now let's begin to take a step back and have a look at the process, just a bit. And I, I go into not much detail, but enough for you to get the picture today. There is a process at work in your life. It's the good hand of God working in your circumstances, preparing bit by bit, step by step, so that when the time comes, everything will be ready for him to step out of invisibility, into miraculous manifestation, whatever it takes, but he's preparing. Goes way back to Genesis 3.15. This is the first promise of the gospel. And it happens hard on the heels of the fall of humanity. And you recall Adam and Eve sinned and they were naked and ashamed. Before that they were naked and not ashamed. So the nakedness was not the shame, but it was the sin in their nakedness that brought the shame. And God was so gracious and merciful. Do you remember? What he did was that he sacrificed animals and made tunics from the skins of animals to cover their nakedness. And it wasn't, oh, you disgust me, cover up here, I give you something to cover yourself. No, 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 no. It was the good hand of a gracious, loving God. Remember, first of all, what had to happen? Blood had to be shed. It wasn't just, oh, I'll make you some, something from fig leaves, or I'll just create some Chanel or some great, you know, piece of uh, uh, artistic haute couture. God was laying a principle 
there had to be a substitutionary death through the shedding of blood. But he took those animal skins and made tunics, not just clothes or aprons, tunic. It's the same word that God later uses of the high priest's clothing. Wow, isn't that amazing? So God does not just save you. He saves you and sanctifies you. He doesn't just cover up the negative, but he brings you into a positive future with him, a life of service and sacred ministry wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, you're wearing a high priestly tunic, the covering of God for you, his call and commission to represent him in the world. And then God speaks over the snake. I call this thing a snake. Most Bibles say serpent. I think that is far too dignified. I think a snake is a snake. None of us in Africa run around saying, oh, look, there is a serpent. No, we say, snake, and we deal with it. So Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, offspring of a woman. What is that? That is a child to be born to a woman. Sound familiar? Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, the offspring, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first word of gospel promise. But from that moment onwards, a whole series of events superintended by God. Know that God is not a puppeteer. He hasn't written a program called Human Life and just plugged it into the computer and come back every couple of thousand years to see how we're getting on. No, he is present. He is active. And the people he is using including the woman that we're talking about here in prophecy, are people who have to say yes. What did Mary say? Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. And so when God works in the world, it's amazing. He doesn't bypass people's free will. And he has to work to encourage people to yield their lives to him and to have faith in him and to trust him. And in that way he builds. And then, of course, we have the story. Let's fast forward it and go through it as quickly as we can. We have Abraham, of course. God of glory appeared to Abraham, manifested to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from that we have Moses and, and the manifestation of, uh, of the Son of God in the burning bush. Moses, Moses. Where, uh, and it goes on from there, and out of that we have the 12 tribes of Israel, of course, and then we have the nation of Israel, and then we have God coming to tabernacle with the children of Israel in the wilderness, and that's why we translate this here in the, in the beginning. Uh, uh, the word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We saw his glory. This was God coming to manifest his presence on the earth again. Tabernacle, temple after temple, exile, destruction, the rebuilding. And then Jesus comes and says, this is the temple of the Lord. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Wow. What preparation. Then we have the prophets. The prophets. We, if we just leap to Isaiah 9 verse 6, listen to this. And this was written 700 years before the coming of Jesus. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Can you see how that links to Genesis 3.15? And the government should be upon his shoulder. What government? United Kingdom? United States? No, no, no. The government of the universe. The government of God shall rest upon his shoulder. And he, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. 
Listen to this. Mighty God. That's pretty big, isn't it? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before Jesus, the Bible says a woman is going to bear a son and this is going to be the Messiah, God manifested in the flesh. We can go further. If I went to Daniel, don't have time, I could show you how to the exact date the coming of Jesus was prophesied. Let's just stick with the place of his birth. Micah 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old. How old? From ancient days. Who is the ancient of days? Wow. So very clearly, and look how modest it is. You, Bethlehem, and there were two of them, so they've got to specify, Ephrathah. This is the southern Southern Bethlehem, tiny little village, hardly counted at all. Isn't it amazing that God, when he chooses to come, chooses to come in this tiny, remote place. And this is what makes people mad. Why didn't he come to London? Why didn't he come in my day? Or at least when there was television. But you see, God always likes to leave a tiny bit of ambiguity so you can say, I, I see it's true. But there's enough there to offend the mind if you choose to be offended. Because when God shows himself, he doesn't show himself to replace the need for faith. He gives you reasons for believing, but you still need to believe. Story goes of an atheist who was wondering about the existence of God. In fact, he must have been a little bit absent-minded because he was walking in the countryside near some cliffs and he fell over the edge of the cliff. But he managed just to hold on to something. There was a tree branch growing outside of the side of the cliff and there he is, swinging, a sheer drop, certain death below. He's holding on for grim life and he thought, hmm, maybe now is the time to pray. And so he prays like this for the first time in his life, he prays. He said, God! Are you up there? Louder. Is there anybody there? As it, his voice echoes across the valleys. And after a few moments, there does come a reply. A big, booming, bass voice is heard from above. I am here, son. Let go of the branch. The man's holding on for dear life. He's heard the voice of God, but he's not prepared to let go. So this was his second prayer. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> so even if God were to show you, how much more clearly could he show you than he's already shown you? But there is always that need for us to lay hold of what he says and put our trust in him. All the way, Isaiah, Micah, Malachi, the last prophet before Jesus, John the Baptist, sent from God, a man called John. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light so that all would believe through his testimony. John the Baptist, amazing, amazing. Think of the hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years of promise, preparation, patience, Working with people that you and I would not have on our team. 
I wouldn't have that turncoat chicken Moses on my team. He blew it all those years ago. Couldn't even talk properly. You've got to talk proper. You're going to be on my team, mate. What about Isaiah struggling, Micah, Malachi, even John the Baptist, all of these people struggling. John the Baptist struggled. He, are you really the one? I'm here in prison. What good is this message to me? All with these weakness, frailties that they have. Think of the preparation, the working things together without manipulating, without being coercive, just lovingly drawing people so that their lives are, and circumstances are woven into the story that God was telling. Painstaking attention to detail. Infinite patience working out his plan, using the weakest of vessels at times. Never, never a pointless event. Always a purpose behind everything. Working in every circumstance of history. When you look at the season at which Jesus was born, it was so perfectly prepared, historically. So perfectly prepared. God had proven that it was best in life to follow him and obey him. He demonstrated that through generations of the lives of the children of Israel. He had shown that he was able to work miraculously, therefore we can trust him. Building, building faith, building promise, weaving circumstances until exactly the right time he came and he appeared. What does this tell us? It tells us that God is never late. He's always on time. And he knows just when to show up. Just when and how to manifest himself. And you know, there are two major ways that God does this. I think it's important to try and spell it out. He does this through normal, natural circumstances, following the basic experiences of everyday life. He works out his purpose. And then also... At times, when it is necessary, he intervenes with a miracle. So, for example, if we're praying for somebody who is under diagnosis and treatment in the hospital, maybe they need some surgery, maybe there's some medication, we pray. And, and when it all works out, we give thanks to God. Okay? The doctors had something to do with it. Natural processes were at work. But, but when the natural circumstances work out with a positive result, the one that we asked for, we thank God. And it's right to do so. So, for example, when, when we say, God, I need to get from A to B quickly. Uber isn't answering. The buses aren't arriving. And then suddenly three buses seem to manifest out of infinity in front of you. You're tempted to think that this is a miracle from another planet, but you know that that bus 10 minutes earlier was in a depot. Maybe they were playing cards, I don't know, but they were in a depot. You know that God didn't fabricate that bus out of thin air. You know that it was an answer to prayer because it got you to where you needed to be at exactly the right moment. You say, thank you, God, thank you that the bus came. But there are certain times when no doctor can help you, 
certain times when no bus can do it, and at times like that, our God is a God who intervenes with a miracle. And that's exactly what the coming of Jesus into this world was, was a miracle. There was no other way. Yes, there was a natural process as soon as God created and planted that perfect human embryo into the womb of Mary, then every other gynecological, biological process kicked into place. God didn't incubate that fetus independent of the womb of Mary. And so understand this, God knows not just when to show up, but how to show up. And he knows what is going to be the best means of bringing about his purpose in this earth. The best means of bringing about his purpose in your life. And what I can tell you is this, that if it will take a natural circumstances, a whole confluence of a range of natural circumstances over a period of time, which come together at exactly the right moment so that it sees, appears to be a miracle you will thank God anyway and say God so be it thank you Jesus and if it takes a moment when God needs if he's going to work out his purpose in your life if he has to create something out of nothing into your life if he's going to have to intervene through a miracle that is nothing short of a supernatural event he can do it and he will do it because he is the God who always shows up on time. And so he came. John 1, 10 to 13. Thank you. Can we have the musicians back? He was in the world and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. Why? Because they were in darkness and could not receive the light. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's not automatic. When he shows up, there's still a choice you must make. But to all who did receive him, how do you receive him? Believe in his name. The word receive here is bring him to you, alongside you in relationship with him. It's talking about entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. To those who did receive him, who believed in his name, to those he gave the right, the privilege, the honor, the power, the authority. All of those are there in this word, the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man or a husband. In other words, not a natural birth, but a spiritual birth, a supernatural birth, born from God. And now it is accomplished because his purpose for coming into the world was to reveal himself, give the offer of life, and to give his life to make good the offer so the offer becomes valid and that Calvary coupon is valid today. Let me just pause and give you a warning. When somebody gives you a token, say, I didn't know what to buy you for Christmas, so here is a token in one of the department stores. Go in and spend it. Don't delay, because there's a date on that. 
He usually runs out before 31st of December. So get those old tokens out. Go spend it before the 31st of December this year. Otherwise, it's invalid. But that token of Calvary is valid, carefully prepared, lovingly presented. It's got your name on it. And all you have to do is to say, do you know what? I believe this. It's not blind faith. But I believe this. I see there are reasons for this. It makes sense. And I am amazed that he would do that for me. So today, thank you, Jesus for showing up right on time. Thank you for bringing us together right on time. Thank you for working in 2016 right on schedule. Thank you for taking our circumstances and working them together, even the negative stuff, the bad stuff, the stuff that we think you could never possibly even use, but you work all things together for good because we love you and we are called to your purpose. Work in our lives and for those of us who are waiting for the miracle, waiting for the answer, waiting for the promise, we hold on to you knowing that you are working now and when the moment is right, not late, not early, but exactly at the right moment, you're going to show yourself in that miracle. Show yourself in that manifestation. Show yourself in that answer to prayer. We lay hold of you because you are good and your name is Jesus. Amen and amen. Give Jesus a big, 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 big praise. Hallelujah.